Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Well, the National Infertility Support and Information Group is calling for legislation to provide public funding for IVF and other fertility treatments. And I'd like to chat to people today about this who maybe are currently going through the system um, or have previously experienced it, whether or not IVF should be publicly funded. If you want to call us, it's 1800 453 106. Sarah is with us on the line in Cork today because, Sarah, you had both of your children through IVF. Um, can you tell us maybe just a little bit about your experience, first of all? Hi, Andrea. How Thanks are you? for having me on. Um, I both, I'm very lucky to say that I do have two children thanks to IVF because that isn't everyone's story. But I was someone who met my husband when I was a little bit older. I was in my mid-30s. So we went, decided we'd have children. And as it turned out, I we needed to go down the IVF route. So we started our IVF in 2017. The end of 2017 was when we were referred to a clinic first. Mm-hmm. And we had a little girl in 2019 and I had my son just there in June. So I've been going through the um, whirlpool for quite a number of years at this stage. But I suppose I'm very fortunate because I had the financial means to be able to do it and that's why I'm speaking to you today. I'm passionate about the fact that I know how privileged and lucky I am to be able to afford to stay on the wheel of IVF for as long as I did to have my family. Because that's uh, that's the thing, isn't it, Sarah? People will, will tell you, and I'm sure people will get in touch with us now and emails will come in, uh, stories and, and people talking about the fact that, you know, like you might try one uh, bout or one session and, and the costs can vary somewhere between maybe four, four and a half thousand to six thousand euro. And then you might need another cycle and a third yeah. session. And, and, the, and that is, it, like it, on average, it takes three transfers for you to have a successful outcome. And some people are very lucky, and their first transfer works for them, and then their second one might work and have a second child. But unfortunately, that is not the norm. It's not the reality. For me to have two children, I had seven IVF transfers of embryos. So when you think you multiply out that amount per per transfer, it ends up to be a very, very significant amount of money. I can look back with rose-tinted glasses and think it was worth it. And because I was able to get the money and have two children, but there are many people who spend multiples of what I spent or what we spent and don't have any children, unfortunately, out of it. And there are some people, which is the most heartbreaking of all, is they have to choose to end their journey, not because emotionally or physically they've decided, but financially they can no longer continue on doing IVF treatment. Because that money conversation and like it's it's so prevalent for, for people and couples that are going through this. It's a massive, massive barrier. And as you say, Sarah, like it's not it's not everybody that can 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 continue on with it. No, and the reality is as if it it is a medical condition. 
medically, there is for most people, there is a reason that you can't have get pregnant naturally for whatever reason. If it was for any other condition, we'd be breaking down doors that people had to pay out thousands and thousands and thousands. Remor- people have remortgaged their houses. They've taken out credit union loans. They've exhausted their family's savings, not just their own savings, but parents, siblings, you know, just to have the right mm. to have a family. And some people go to extraordinary lengths. And it's heartbreaking to think that the Irish government in such a progressive country and don't get me wrong, I understand now that people are going through awful financial hardship, but this is an ongoing problem. This isn't a problem that arose today. This is something that has been going on for years. I lived in the UK for eight years in my younger days. If I had hit this road in the UK, even at the age that I started IVF, I would have been publicly funded. But like, where we are rated in terms of other countries, we actually are, I think we're ranked at about 40 out of 43 countries. Um, You know, we're we're only, we're only above Albania and Armenia in terms of where we're ranked um, when you look at fertility Europe and and look at the the sexual and reproductive rights um, of countries and European countries. But that's where we are. So when, like, when you look about this, or you talk about the UK and the situation there, like, it's, it's actually pretty incredible that we're still talking about something that was first discussed um, nearly the guts of about 15, 16 years ago when it, when it was first tabled then um, as something that was a priority for the former health minister, for, uh, Mary Harney. And like, it's still a discussion and the stories that will come in now from people that will talk about the impact of it. And, and yes, it doesn't seem to be a priority. People are very sympathetic. Don't get me wrong. Like I have had nothing but positive experiences from telling my story of going down IVF to have children. But any political representative I've spoken to, first of all, they nearly want to run from the doorstep when you bring it up to them initially because they're like, oh, my God, this woman (laughs) wants to talk about having children and fertility. And they're sympathetic and they'll take it on board. But that's as far as it goes. Uh, There's been no meaningful engagement with funding this. And the ministers have the power to do this. They have the power to set funding in place to ring fence money and to do Mm -hmm. it. And I know it sounds simplistic, but if the political will was there, it would be done. And it's quite ironic that today of all days I'm speaking to you because today is the day that free contraception is available for 17 to 24 year olds because the political will was there to do it. So why can't the political will be there to allow those of us who might be at slightly the other end of the scale to go through yeah. the IVF process? It's very ironic that today is the day. And I, I, I know, and to be fair to some political representatives and, and, and senators, um, I've talked to some of them here actually on the programme in the past year or so. You know, even some have shared their own stories too, actually having gone through this. And But at the same time, you're right, no, nothing meaningful has actually changed in that time. Sarah, stay with us. Um, I want to chat to Katrina Fitzpatrick as well. Katrina's the, the chairperson of the National Infertility Support and Information Group. Um, what do you want the government to do so in the budget, Katrina? 
Hello, hello, and thank you for having me on today. And can I just thank Sarah for very eloquently sharing her story. It's not easy to come on the national no. airwaves and speak like she has. But if we don't have people like Sarah coming out and sharing her story, um, you know, we can't get this the profile that it needs and it really needs the profile. So thank you for covering the issue and thank you, Sarah, for making, um, you know, for bringing that story mm. to light. We're calling for three things today. First of all, um, with the return of the doll and the talk of the budget, we want to see IVF funding and fertility funding as part of the budget. Um, it's never been part of it before. And it's been long promised. And I mean, really, like you hear the story there, people are going to a huge length to fund something uh, as simple. And, you know, what we think to be very straightforward, and which a lot of people don't give any consideration to until the moment they want to, which is starting a family. Um, and as Sarah said, I mean, it's ironic that at one side of the scale, there was the political will to bring forward uh, the free birth control, which is incredibly positive. And this is really all about choice people choosing when they would like to start a family, people thinking about this. Um, and it's incredibly important that people are able to do that. And I mean, really, people hit a bump in the road when they try to get pregnant and it doesn't happen. And it really is a lot of times the first time in their lives they've ever thought that it's just not going to be straightforward like they thought it would be. Um, and they enter a world which is a very stressful world of wondering you know, how they're going to deal with this, what are their options, etc. Mm. But also the cost of it, the cost is just extraordinary. And as you mentioned, you know, when we look at other countries, we are just completely at the bottom of the scale. I mean, to come 40 out of 43, that atlas um, that you mentioned was published last December. And I mean, Russia is ranked higher than us, you know, like lots of other countries that we wouldn't consider ourselves to be on a par when it comes to um, healthcare. Is are, are ranked much yeah. much. Well, are, aren't we the only Katrina? We're the only EU state, aren't we? Not to fund it. The, yeah, that don't give any public funding. I mean, we give yeah. two very small kind of tokenistic things towards it. One is you can claim the tax back from it, but if I don't pay tax, that's no good to me. It's also a small amount of it. And the second thing is that the drug drug payment scheme does allow you to claim back, um, you know, for the drugs that you're on. But I mean, they're sort of you know, very, very small items, you know, when it comes to something like this. And of course, you know, if you're going to claim tax back on something, you need to have the funding up front and then you wait a period of time to get the tax back. Okay. So, you know, I mean, they, they don't really deal with the issue, which is that we don't have public funding for this. It's, it's long promised, um, but it's also the hanging around the legislation that goes with yeah. it. And as we know, legislation takes time to go through. Um, and obviously with the doll coming back today we want to see that legislation be you know top of the priority list for health that the AHR bill would go into the health committee and those discussions would start um, immediately if possible. Mm. So how much like without being insensitive about it but I mean it is about money and we're talking about um, allocating public funds to you know facilitate or to help or to assist um, families or or people um, to, to go through the IVF journey like Another way maybe of asking it is it's the price of having a family. And what is it that the the National Infertility Support and Information Group, is it that you want government to sideline a certain amount of money or or cycles or like how do you equate? What is the right amount in all of this, Katrina? Which is very hard to you know, know because, I mean, you mentioned at the start of the show that, you know, one in six heterosexual couples in Ireland may experience infertility. They're the HSE stats. 
But like that's such a narrow prism to look at it through. You know, they're only looking at heterosexual couples. So we don't have any handle on the statistics around this because no one's gathering those statistics. Like the clinics, you know, do give kind of their numbers, but they usually focus on success rates. And um, the HPRA do regulate the clinics, but no one's sitting there saying who's going abroad for it. Uh, what people who yeah, are not these are only the people stories are, are we know about. Exactly. I mean, and, and lots of people don't like talking about it. It's yeah. very difficult to talk no, about. No, I know. So without, without numbers, you know, it's hard to put a figure on it. But I mean, certainly it should be the case that, I mean, and we'd be happy to see this even tiered, you know, that in year one, that people, you know, who have been trying for six months and referred to a clinic would have one round funded. And then in two years time, as the legislation beds in, we would see that increased. And in four years time, we'd be up to, you know, the kind of gold standard, which is to have three cycles funded. Yeah, well, that's what you other know, EU countries do, isn't it? That. It's what a lot of them do, yeah. And you need the supports around it. You need to have free counselling available if you'd like that. You need to have your blood tests covered. There's, and also, I mean, that employers are given support for employees, you know, who need to take time off for this. So mm. it's sort of a holistic package that needs to be looked at. Okay. But I think it's important just to point out that the WHO does define infertility as a disease. You know, and we're here campaigning for funding for this mm. really... We shouldn't be. It should just be part of the public okay. health system already. And w- when you cast your mind back, Sarah, just um, you know, to, to your journey, if it was if it was a case that you were able to access something like even one cycle or or three bouts over a two year period, like I'm sure that would have made a huge difference for you. Oh, absolutely! Like we had our daughter on the third round, so you know, and we fall very much into the statistics of you need three transfers to to have a positive outcome. So, but even to have one, to have, to, for that first step on the ladder to be there to show that there is a willingness to help couples like me, you know, to help women like me to have a family because mm. I was the person in my group of friends growing up where I was the babysitter. I would have been known as always the one who loved children. Yeah. Do you know? I know. And then ironically, I was the one who went through, maybe, I don't know if I went through the most trouble, but openly I, I'm the one who's gone through the most yeah. trouble to okay. have my children. Well, and finances, they do play a toll because you are thinking, when will saving up between rounds and maybe putting off treatment because you have to wait until you get your tax back mm. because at the end of the year, you know, it is an added pressure. Well, it's and a budgetary a decision, pressure. you know, and, and that's this was the unfortunate reality of us. Of it. Um, I've got Grace on the line as well. Actually, do you know what? We'll just stay with us, um, Grace and Sarah, because we're just going to take a very short break. But Lunchtime Live at Newstalk.com is the email address if you want to join us here today. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. Yeah, we're continuing our discussion on whether IVF should be publicly funded and lots of messages coming into us here in the text line. It's 53106 is the number if you want to join us. Uh, this listener says, of course, IVF should be publicly funded in an age of equality, dependency on two incomes and the necessity that women exceed to secure parity in their jobs and the falling birth rate. Who's going to pay for the future? And this other listener then in Dublin says, I'm not comfortable to come on air about the IVF conversation. And while I appreciate the sensitivity and the issues, it isn't a right to have kids. 
and taxpayers cannot be expected to fund this. Life is hard at the moment for so many who are struggling. Our health services are overstretched for key care. IVF isn't and shouldn't be a priority. If people want it, they should have to pay for it, says this texter. Um, Look, it's a very personal, personal decision for people. Um, I just want to hear your own experiences with uh, today on the show, though. Grace is on the line. Grace, would you like to share your IVF experience? Hi, Andrea. Well, of course, um, I suppose our journey started about five years ago. Um, My husband and I decided to try for a baby. And um, after 12 months of no success, we said, right, we look into this. We went down the road of having tests. And, you know, for men, it's a straightforward semen analysis. Um, But for women, there's some blood tests. There's ultrasounds. I had um, a procedure to check the viability of my fallopian tubes which for most women is done is done straightforward. Mm. Uh, but my situation, I had it done through a keyhole. So, you know, it's time off work again. It's it's a medical procedure. Now, I can't say enough about my employers. They were fantastic. You know, from the outset, we told them what we were going through and we were very open about it. But a lot of people are not willing to share that, you know, and now they've got to try and take sick days or holidays yeah, and, and try to explain their absence from work, you know. Um, but anyway, that that none of that showed up anything alarming. So we thought, okay, you know, I'm still young. We've got time on our side. I was about 33 when we began our journey, mm-hmm. and um, so we gave it another bit of time. And with nothing still happening, we went to a fertility clinic in Cork. They did similar tests, but what we found out was that I had um, a very low ovarian reserve stock of eggs, if you will. So basically, in a normal IVF procedure, um, what they do is, so every woman has maybe anywhere between 10 and 20 follicles on their ovaries. And what they do is they give you drugs to stimulate the follicles to grow at the same rate. And then they collect the eggs. Um, In my case, you're looking at maybe two to three follicles. So it was kind of made clear to us that, yes, you, you do have follicles. Um, yes, you're young, your your eggs will be of good quality. However, realistically, your chances of conceiving naturally are very, very, very slim. IVF is your best option. So okay. they send you home with all this literature, you know, and you've got all the statistics and success rates and then your little two-pager with the fees. Yeah. Um, so a normal round of IVF might cost five grand for the fees, in our situation, we would have probably had to do maybe three rounds to collect enough eggs to continue with, let's say, one full cycle. So at this stage, we're looking at about probably 10,000 to give it one good go. And as Sarah has said, most people, it takes about three. So we find ourselves looking at, OK, we've got to spend 30,000 here. Um, that's just to have one child. And, I, you know, I very much felt, what if we exhaust every resource we have just to have this child and then you know we can't give it everything we want to give it when it's here and I never wanted that to be an issue you know Mm. and to just completely take over your lives because it does it's such an emotional issue as well as everything else um so basically we we decided look we're going to look into this we're going to do it um AIB our mortgages with AIB and they have a facility um, whereby you can top up your mortgage for medical expenses. So we said, let's see, is this something that's covered? 
And when we initially went about it, it wasn't covered. But we were told, look, it is something that, that they are they are going to be bringing in. So we said, OK, let's, let's wait a bit longer. And, you know, it's horrible because the decision is always out of your control. You know, you're waiting on somebody else to say, yes, we're going to give that funding or, you know, and you're, you're just constantly waiting on somebody else to make this decision about your life, you know. Um, but luckily, AIB did, did bring it on towards the end of last year. And in January this year, we were approved for an additional 30,000 on top of our mortgage yeah. to allow us to do ITS. Um, now, we were thrilled. We were so thrilled, obviously, to, to get this. But we also knew that we were very lucky. You know, a lot of people, they spend every penny they have buying their home or building their home and they can't borrow anymore. And people have car loans and, and they've got many other financial obligations. Um, you know, and just simply cannot, do not have the capacity mm-hmm. to borrow any further. And now you've also got to face the repayments of this. And then, of course, there are no guarantees with IVF. It, it might not even work. Obviously, that was a risk we were willing to take. You know, we wanted this child very badly. Um, and we decided we were going to go down that road. As luck would have it, amazingly, um, we actually ended up conceiving naturally a few, very few short weeks after that. Yeah. Um, you know, and people will say to you, oh, when the stress is gone or whatever, I know. you know, maybe it was just knowing that the money is there now or, you know, this decision now is out of my hands. You know, it's up to the doctors now to, to do what they have to do. I don't know. But, you know, it, it's certainly had there been state-assisted funding, you know, day one when we were told this is your best option, mm. we wouldn't have even hesitated. We would I have know. gone straight for it. Are you, have you, have you, um, so when did this happen or what's the timeline in, in all of this, Grace? Are you? Oh, we were over, like, overall, we were about five years, like we were 12 years before we initially had tests. Then we, sorry, 12 years, 12 months. Then we gave it a little bit longer. Um, and then I actually started acupuncture um, with a fantastic lady, Katie Murphy in Clanmel. A lot of people had said to me, you know, when you, when you are open about your fertility journey and, and a lot of people you know, find it very difficult to talk about, it. and it can be a very lonely time. I I talk, I probably talk too much about you know things. I'd say my husband wishes I wouldn't, <laughs> but um, you know, people would share their experience, and so many people said to me that for that acupuncture helps them. So I started this, and it's recommended that you do about twelve sessions prior to beginning IVF. So we started that late twenty nineteen, then COVID hit, and at the time, um, it wasn't an essential service acupuncture mm. wasn't. So we had to stop. Um, then we kind of got back to it about midway through 2020, stopped again in October. Now we're into 2021. And it was just, you know, it was such an upheaval and the over and back. And for me, it took me, I think my husband was probably more willing or certainly he was ready sooner to do this than I was. Yeah. I don't know why I just had a bit of a, a yeah, yeah. Not even a barrier against Yeah, it. no, I understand. It's and, and and that's I think the case too, probably for for an awful lot of people, Grace, is the even just the timing of it and, and maybe knowing when the right time is and particularly if people are maybe have a different idea of a timeline in their mind as well. Um yeah, and as you said too, Grace, like obviously this would have been hugely beneficial to you and in your family um, if the IVF was a publicly funded option for you. Um, listen, I'm, I want to thank you though for sharing your story with us. 
here on the programme today and I, I do really appreciate that. Um, lunchtime live at newstalk.com is the email address if you want to join us here on the show. Thanks to Sarah as well and Katrina. We are actually going to come back to this a little bit later in the programme so if you do want to get in touch please do so. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.